your current puppy is from Puerto Rico, right? She's a princess from Puerto Rico. She came in at four months old. I got her back in December and, and uh, teaching her a little bit of jujitsu here and there. She's taken well to it, but she doesn't really like it. Like when I lay on her, um, kind of like Hanad style and, and um, she doesn't just like the pressure. You know, she's not used to the pressure yet from working bottom. She's a good pup. I like her a lot. Got lucky. Welcome to the Mental Arts Podcast, where we talk about jujitsu, mindset, and why pets make for awesome, thrilling partners. I'm your host, Tracy Huang, and I hope you'll enjoy the show. This is the true athlete, the person in rigorous training against false impressions. Remain firm, you who suffer. Don't be kidnapped by your impressions. The struggle is great, the task divine, to gain mastery, freedom, happiness, and tranquility. Epictetus Discourses. People at Beta Academy know Travis Alton, or T.O. for short, as a stoic in the room when it comes to jiu-jitsu. I've never seen him freaked out once, a teammate used to say to me. Does he even get scared? Tio was the first instructor that I saw regularly in the fundamental classes, where he taught us a guard pass that I still use in my game today. I liked him for his straightforward teaching style, which almost hid his dry sense of sarcastic humor that I've mistaken more than once as serious talk. During a white belt promotion test, I remember rolling against him and losing control of my breath. In one swift cutting fashion, Tio told me to control my breath and then sent me along my way. I've never forgotten that advice. During this interview, you'll hear Tio call me a snoop, which just tells you how much we know and don't know about him. He doesn't share too much of himself, though you can tell a lot by his actions and the way that he carries himself around the gym. Calm, cerebral, and collected in almost any situation, He's a funny guy to be around when he does open up to you, catching you off guard both with his jujitsu game and his commentary on life. Hope you enjoy the show. How do I stay so calm? It's the exterior. It's a poker face, right? Like I'm thinking, like I'm mentally engaged when I compete. And so like I'm thinking about what I want to do. You know, if my opponents got something right, my foot, they got my foot right. And it really actually is like in danger. Like I, you know, I don't want my opponent to know that, right? I want to, you know, keep a poker face. Now I know how to tap, right? If it's, you know, before it breaks, I'm going to tap. The moment before I tap, you know, they're not going to know that I'm about to tap. I think that, you know, you breathe, you relax. It's a marathon, right? So I I do short control bursts. You've heard me say that. Short control bursts, bursts, try to breathe, relax, and use it as a chess match. And so for me, staying calm is easily because I'm not sprinting. I'm relaxing. I'm shooting for a position. I'm relaxing. So it's, it's short, controlled bursts. And then, you know, maintaining, you know, the things that you need to maintain, posture grips. That's how I can kind of maintain it, uh, like a, I guess a poker face. And, and also maybe I'm impervious to emotion. I don't know. That's my girlfriend. <laughs> she probably would say the same thing.
And I always want to kind of like do new things, learn new things, learn new skills. To me, life is all about new experiences and acquiring knowledge. And so that's kind of a little bit of both, right? Music's hard though. It's kind of like, it reminds me of jujitsu in a way. Like there's so many directions that you can take it. And there's like so many different kind of nuances to it and different styles. So it's kind of like a never ending thing. I think it's a good one, right? Jiu-Jitsu, obviously, if you do it the right way and you're sustainable, it's, it, it fulfills a niche that you have to have to do it like something aerobic activity, right? You need some kind of aerobic activity in your life. So we kind of benefit from the fact that we have a passion that associates with something we should be doing anyway, right? So it checks off the aerobic activity box that we need. everybody needs in their life. Learning music, I think, doesn't necessarily check off necessary box that everybody should have. You know, it's a good skill to have, like knowing another language, you know, another thing I'm working on. I used to be an avid video game player and I realized you know, I got enjoyment out of video games. I'm not knocking video games because it's do what you do, what makes you happy. But then I realized that there are other things that I enjoy just as much as video games, like learning a new instrument or trying to learn another language to some degree can be fun. Um, but learning new skills, that's what drives me. You know, I realized, well, I could be like playing video games for like 20 years. It's like running, right? You could be running for 20 years or you could be training jujitsu for 20 years. Uh, at the end of that, you can be like, yeah, I'm a black belt runner. Nobody's going to take you seriously. But it may be some people that are runners. I thought it would be a lot more cooler to spend all those hours instead of running, learning a craft and still be in shape. You know, I still have to run. I'm about to run after this. But we know a craft, right? And that craft requires skill and mental knowledge where running is kind of just a release. I mean, there is probably a little bit of skill with running and how to run properly. But running is running for the most part. I like that. That's what I think attracted me to jiu-jitsu is just the desire to be competitive and then uh, learning a new skill, right? I think life is all about kind of just engaging your mind and, and what pushes you, right? And, and so that's what pushes me is just learning new skills and, and new, new experiences. The existence, the physical universe is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. But that is best understood by the analogy with music, because music as an art form is essentially playful. We say, you play the piano, you don't work the piano. Why? Music differs from, say, travel. When you travel, you are trying to get somewhere. In music, though, one doesn't make the end of the composition the point of the composition. If that were so, the best conductors would be those who played fastest, and there would be composers who only wrote finales. People will go to a concert just to hear one crackling chord, because that's the end. Alan Watts, Why Your Life Is Not A Journey. So I started jujitsu in 2006. People were trying to figure out jujitsu back then, what really to call it. It was jujitsu, more or less, but I wasn't super consistent with it because I was in the military. And then probably in the gi, I started in 2009 consistently. So you were still in the Navy? Yeah, I was still in the military. I was like an assistant wrestling coach. A lot of people don't know that I used to wrestle because my wrestling is hot garbage now. I wrestled in high school and then when I went to the military, like I still wanted to be competitive. So I tried out for the all Navy wrestling team. And when I didn't make that, I was an assistant coach at a not, like, kind of like a helper coach, an aide for a wrestling team in Virginia, a really good one, nationally ranked one. So I definitely got my workout. And But I realized like, you know, I wanted to be competitive like the kids that I was helping out and I, I found jujitsu 
to just people talking about it and like saying, hey, there's this place you can go and train. And me and a friend of mine, a roommate of mine at the time when I was in the military, we're like, yeah, let's try it out. You know, it was kind of like, why not? Let's try it. And it just stuck with me. I'm just curious, is that buddy of yours still doing it? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so you could probably beat him up. Well, well, he just disappeared. I don't know. He, he oh, might, okay. Like, I don't keep in touch with him. But yeah, like some people, like they just disappear. And then other people, it's, it's random. It's weird how it works. But like some people just stick with it. They have, just like anything, I guess, some people, if they really find enjoyment or passion in it, then they stick with it. A lot of people that I started jiu-jitsu with or that want to try it out, I don't think any of them do it anymore. Like other things happen. They get families or... Not that it's an excuse because a lot of people have families in do jiu-jitsu, but just other things rank in importance. Jiu-jitsu was always an important element of my life just because of how I think and, and one of my life. And, you know, my dad used to wrestle and he was somewhat successful at it. He wasn't like any kind of big deal, but he took, I mean, he, he did well in high school. And, you know, I, I started a little late. I was doing other sports when I was in middle school, but in high school, I kind of did it because my dad did it. I think one of those things and my friends were doing it and I was like, hey, this would be a cool thing to kind of be competitive and, and kind of try to do what my dad did. And I didn't have like a very successful wrestling career. I took a lot of losses and had it was humbled a lot. You know, I never really got to show my dad, I guess, like, you know, what I was capable of, like, you know, with drive and discipline. And I got better through high school, but I, I never did anything big. I had like this unsatisfied feeling that it's like, I, I want to do more. And I feel like I can push myself mentally and physically better than this. And and I think just eventually it caught on. Like it took a few years. I was 23 when I first got into jujitsu. So, and at that point it wasn't about like my father anymore, right? Like I got into wrestling. It was just about me and what I wanted to do with my life. For me, I've always grown up thinking like, oh, the coach is like the one who's not actually like in the swimming pool with you or not actually like doing stuff with you. They're always like off to the side. So can you tell me a little bit more about like your experience coaching there and maybe like how it compares to how you coach now? Yeah, so I think then I was learning, I think just as much from them as they were from me because these were really good kids and they had different backgrounds. Their fathers got them into it when they were young, not all of them, but a lot of them. So the kids that I was wrestling with, I mean, they would beat me up just as much as I would beat them up sometimes more. And I learned a lot from them and I was there, you know, to help them as a sparring partner and then also, you know, give some tips here and there. But I wasn't like probably seen as much of a, of a mentor back then, even though I was older. You know, I was more like an aide, right? I was assistant, but I was also like, you know, I'd go to their, their meets and, and I would, you know, give them tips here and there. But honestly, they were better wrestlers than me. And so a lot of this, the advice that I would give them, a lot of them have already like partaking in it. So I would say my mentorship was more limited and selfishly probably it was for myself as well to like wrestle with these kids and, and get better myself. I mean, I'd give them rides to their houses and, um, you know, tell, like, you know, give them my experiences on maybe like cutting weight and stuff. But that's kind of where that stops. And then I think now I feel more confident. And if I was like asked questions, like when you come to me and you want to know something, right? Like I give you a lot more experience in jujitsu now in my life than I did at wrestling then. I mean, I don't like to think of myself as a mentor, but I can help people at least I can give them a lot more information that I've acquired over the years than I could back then as a younger guy. I feel a lot more confident in giving people the right information to succeed versus back then where I was still kind of learning myself.
Tell me if you remember this photo. You really are a snoop, aren't you? Yup. I do remember that photo. That was actually the first and last tournament my, my dad actually came to when I was like, hey, you should check out this jujitsu thing. That was when I got out of the, the military. Like it was one of my first tournaments out of the military. That's when I still wanted to be flashy and wear red geese. Uh, still want to be, I still have some flashy geese, I'm not gonna lie. But I think that was probably, you know, 2000, probably 2010. I remember just having a lot of matches that day. Uh, as a white belt, you just have a lot of matches, or at least back then we did. And it was a US grappling. It was like one of my first US grapplings now that I ref now. And that was that picture, I think. Can you show that picture again? Yeah. In the absolute division. I'm not I think sure. so. You were like uh, closing out with somebody, oh. like one of your teammates, you said. So yeah, I guess that was my division. And apparently the funny thing is, is like the white guy next to me is uh, somebody I actually fought recently in like a Nogi thing from Charlottesville that we did the December before last. And I didn't mm -hmm. even know, I, I fought him like way back in the day. I don't know oh. if I fought him then, I don't remember. But yeah, I guess this is my weight class. And then I went on to do the yeah, absolute and I took second in absolute. And I was, it was just a long day and it was, it was a fun day. It was one of my first big tournaments. Well, first many match tournaments. What makes you either comfortable about competition or how do you embrace the discomfort of competing? So it's a good question. It's a common question. And I think a common answer is, you know, people probably try to not think about it much or they listen to music or they try to relax. I think the thing that I, I look at in competition is try not to put too much pressure on myself anymore. It's easier said than done, of course, especially when you're at like, you know, you, you've, you're mature in the belt that you're in and you're like, maybe people expect you to win, which you shouldn't like think about what other people think, just think about your own thoughts and what you want to do. In competition for me, I, I would say the US grapplings, I actually have less nerves. Um, the nerves that I do have, I have less nerves on the US grapplings. And I'm usually actually at this point, because I do master two now and IBJJF, like the best guys that I'm fighting actually are the US grappling guys that come in, some young hungry guy, kids that come in and, and they're trying to, you know, impress their coaches and it keeps mm -hmm. me sharp. And so I think those tournaments there, I'm very kind of relaxed because I'm refing and everybody's, it's, it's a fun kind of thing. And if I lose, I lose, it's not a big deal. Now the IBJJF is different, like the worlds, the master worlds, you know, even the DC opens, like it's master two. I usually only have one match. I think the one that probably is master of worlds because I'm like, I'm really trying to win that thing or at least get on the podium. I relax, you know, a lot of people do like jumping jacks and do push-ups and, you know, try to get themselves in gear. I make sure I'm hydrated. I make sure I have energy and I just try to relax and then think about what I want to do and have confidence in, in what I want to do. So like a game plan, right? I never want to go in second guessing myself. I had a lot of issues with that earlier on where I just do so many things and I wouldn't have conviction and confidence to like follow through with my game plan. I just all of a sudden freak out and be like, that's not going to work and second guess and do something else. And that would actually mess me up. With my nerves, I try to, you know, they're all going to be there and that's part of the great thing about jiu-jitsu to me is like they keep you sharp and, and you want to have nerves uh you want to kind of have that feeling a little bit but also keep it under control and use it as fuel to kind of like push yourself right so i don't even listen to music i go out there i study people you know i try to have fun watching jiu-jitsu i just kind of like relax my body try to you know hydrate make sure you know, i'm like i'm not injury prone i just think hey look it's going to be fun regardless and I want to go out there and I pay to do this and I travel for a reason. It's not for anybody else, it's for me. So at the end of the day, uh, the fact that I'm there, the way I think about it is the fact that I'm there, I'm already winning. This kind of sounds lame for maybe some people, but like, you know, I feel like that the fact that I'm still doing it when so many other people have quit or not doing
doing anymore. So that's something I'm trying to prove to myself that it's a lifelong thing for me and I'm gonna push. So I don't really have any any kind of method or science to getting rid of nerves. Remember what you're doing it for, right? You're doing it to have, your. it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. And then, then when it becomes not fun anymore, it's just all nerves. That's not a good thing. You have to reevaluate why you're doing it. I think it's okay to have nerves and be nervous. It's completely natural, but also remember that you're doing it for fun. At the end of the day, it's all fun. It's not like you're going to war and it's life or death. You're gonna live to fight another day. I usually make a lot of friends from the people that I compete against from the tournaments and we keep in touch. And so it should be a good experience and, and a fun experience. And then think about that and put priority on that as opposed to the nerves you feel. Okay, full disclosure, if you are a future podcast guest, I am sorry because I will look up basically everything that I know and can find out about you. And that is not meant to hurt you. That is meant to say, I want to show you in the best possible light. And sometimes that means getting a fuller picture before we get into the interview. So yeah, (laughs) I don't think I'm that big of a snoop, honestly. I think that It's always useful to have people look back on their past, whether or not they're proud of it or remember it. It's something that's important to remember when you're interviewing or talking to somebody who is as experienced as T.O. He's been doing jujitsu for over a decade. And that's the kind of trajectory that I definitely hope to have. And I definitely know, even in the few years that I've done this sport and art, I've changed a lot. I've gone through a lot of internal shifts, even external ones in terms of how my body looks, for example, since I started lifting. So when I asked him about this photo from the past, it was a way of identifying or trying to see if Um, He has also experienced changes and one thing that really struck me was like in the earlier tournaments He would panic and he would change his mind or decide that What he was planning to do wasn't actually what he was going to be able to execute on which is very surprising now because now when I watched T.O. compete like it's very strategic and methodical and he is one of the calmer people in the bullpen I don't think he needs to like slap himself on the face or something to I don't know get him psyched up and if you've ever been in the bullpen then you know how much of a gut-wrenching vomit-inducing tears welling up feeling it can be and I think you can really tell the difference between somebody who has a good handle on their mindset and is prepared to go in and do the job they were assigned to do versus somebody who may or may not have thought about how to deal with the physical sensations of the emotions coming up inside of them. And I am all for emotions. I'm all for deeply feeling and accepting things. But at the same time, I feel like there is a good skill or ability to have to stand up for yourself and to kind of be, not necessarily be brave, but to be able to have faith that your strengths will show up when you need them. And that's something that my mentor told me 
whenever I had a hard decision to make, she said, your strengths will show up when you need them. And it was another way of just saying, like, look, even though you've never dealt with this specific challenge before, even though you might be scared out of your mind, the fact is you have the resources you need to get to the end result that you want. It might not feel good. It might be really messy. It might not be an exact result, but there is a way forward. And thinking about that, whenever I have to do something that's nerve wracking or unfamiliar, I kind of take the time to assess and truly believe in the fact that I'm, I have strengths that will show up for me. Maybe in that moment, it won't feel like it, but that's not up to me. It's up to my strengths to do that. And that brings me peace. That brings me hope that even though I might not have experienced something or I think it's going to go a certain way, I still have agency and power and control in a very potentially scary situation. Do you ever think about who you want to train with, either because you have an injury or because you want to work on something or the size difference? Yeah, so that happens with guys too, right? When you're a big guy, you never really know what it's like to be a female practitioner of jujitsu, honestly. But I'm not a big guy. So like I do empathize with what it's like to be a smaller person, right? I wouldn't say less strong because some women are stronger than a lot of the guys, right? But definitely a smaller person on average. So the question when you, do I think about those type of things like you would, I do because when I go against somebody like uh, Anad these days with his like 10 foot legs, you know, I, I think about that and it doesn't mean that I don't train with them, but I, I train a certain way. I train to be careful in certain ways that I wouldn't maybe with somebody my own size. I mean, I'm always trying to be careful, but my strategy changes based off of who I'm fighting. Like a generalization would be when you fight somebody your size, you have a kind of a certain strategy. When I fight somebody smaller, I have a certain strategy. And then when I fight somebody bigger, I also have a different strategy, right? So like why use all that energy and, and put myself in danger when I can work top? Now, as far as injury, you know, and I have to force that position, but fortunately I can force it in the gym because we're not starting on our feet all the time. Now, when I'm injured, for sure, I try to avoid bigger people or if I go with bigger people, it's not that, you know, if they ask me, I try to go with everybody when they ask me, unless somebody has already picked me to go. So I try not to duck anybody. So when I get injured, when it's really achy, I, when I go with somebody, I'm like, let me work top, right? Uh, let me just work top. If you sweep me, you win, we'll reset the position. I mean, I might go with anybody, right? But especially with the big guys, you know, I, I want to try to be careful and mindful of the injuries, but I don't want that to stop my jujitsu just because I get injured. I want to work, you know, whatever I can work. I don't need to get my ego involved and understand that if I'm injured, I might be more prone to get beat. And that's okay because I'm, I'm not trying to beat the other person necessarily. I'm trying to beat myself and I'm trying to better myself. Now on the surface, of course, you're trying to win, but you want to maximize your time on the mat in a healthy fashion. For the most part, when you get injured, your body still needs to move around. Like when I hurt my back, the best thing is, you know, after you kind of reduce the swelling and everything, the preceding days, the movement of your body is going to help, especially with like arthritis as you age, any kind of injuries, a sedentary person is going to have, be a lot more prone to injury than somebody that's very flexible and, and works their body and does a lot of movement in their life. It's a long answer to that, but the answer is yes. And one of the common examples is when I hurt my back, like I try to play top, they sweep me, I reset the position. Hey, you won. Good job. Let's, let's do this over again. Yeah, we have the same thing. Small guys with big guys all the time. 
Okay, cool. That's really I don't know about the big guys. I don't know what they do. They probably just go around trying to smash everybody all day, every day. For me, for sure. Okay, as I'm recording now, I would just like to tell you where I am. I'm in the closet and usually I have the door closed, but it's just way too suffocating. I feel like I'm constantly running out of oxygen. So now I have the door open. Charlie, my cat, is next to me. He has no idea why the laptop is on the floor, but he's sniffing it. So if you hear like cat sniffing sounds, that's what's going on. At any rate, the point of this commentary is to do the one thing that I don't do very often, which is get on the soapbox and emphasize my truest belief that mental health is just as important, if not more important, than physical health. And by that, I mean there is such a stigma around trying to, for example, overcome an addiction or to even admit that you have an addiction or to go to therapy or to say that you have some sort of mental health diagnosis with regards to somebody who would have the flu or they have a broken bone nobody is going to be like wow like you are just a terrible person i'm going to judge you for that and yet when we have minds that don't actually work the way that they were um I'm not saying designed to work because I feel like the human brain has not really evolved that much, but maybe the mind is not working in a way that is serving us in that moment. It's so hard to admit that and to share that in a way that makes you feel safe and able to actually get the help that you need. So I just want to emphasize like, yes, for sure, talking about, um, maximizing your time on the mats not only just taking care of yourself physically but taking care of yourself mentally and if you're hearing this and you think great that is obvious advice something i'm already doing hats off to you this is definitely something that i would record for myself and remind myself of in the future because there are times when i decide that i want to push myself really hard and i make things really difficult for me not even in the sense of going to a training that's physically taxing and therefore mentally taxing, but just even arriving on the mats and feeling like I've already mentally defeated myself because I feel like that day isn't going to go well. I pause because Charlie is now thinking about jumping into the laundry hamper. Anyways, you might hear a loud bang. Oh. Charlie, don't step on my keyboard. Okay, moving my laptop a little back. I just, there's there's a lot of different ways you can approach it. There's a lot of people who give advice. I would say that for me, what has really helped me is um, this book actually called Todd Herman's um, book, The Alter Ego. Uh, in it, he describes a way of... Um, thinking about yourself and creating a persona for yourself that actually isn't something that's inauthentic or fake, but is realizing that you have certain skills and strengths that um, 
that may not be apparent because you're mentally working yourself up and thinking that you're weak, whereas you're not. Okay, now there are two cats in the closet. Maybe this is why I keep things closed. Oh, Charlie. All right. Well, that's fun. Anyways, I highly recommend the book. Um, I have a similar resource that I'm creating at thementalarts.com. It will be live by the time you're hearing this, so I'm also very sorry to put in a marketing thing in here, but here we are. Uh, I just, yeah, I think mindset is the highest leverage activity you can work on in jujitsu, and it's so, so, so underrated by those who default to the mindset of I just have to work harder physically that might be the case but your mind is the engine that's going to drive that machine forward so getting a good handle on how it works and understanding its limitations so you can make improvements upon it is undoubtedly um, very very helpful to a jujitsu practice. Okay, so a fun fact that some people know about me, but not a lot of people do is, again, I came from a wrestling background and my first tournament that I did was a few weeks after I started, maybe a month after my, I started, right? And I was like, oh, I had like a wrestling background, I would do better than people that, you know, were getting into jujitsu, didn't really know body mechanics much. I didn't, but I knew wrestling. And so I could take people's backs, I could get my RNCs. I went to my first tournament and I power doubled the guy probably one of the first and last times I ever power doubled somebody in competition. And the guy locked on a guillotine choke and I picked him up and then I went down and I went out. I woke back up, my literally first tournament, first match, got choked out unconscious. I woke up and I was like, man, like that didn't work out the way I thought it would, right? That's what everybody, you know, obviously probably says when they're waking up, like, oh, okay, that's weird, What's, where am I at? My girlfriend at the time was in the stands and that was just like an embarrassing moment. I was like, you know what, I did this to myself. I came to that realization later and I was like, I gotta learn this jujitsu stuff. I gotta learn to work off my back. I think that really came when I started putting on the gi. You know, I, I did a little bit with no gi, but really the gi is where I became very technical. And so when I got out in 2009 and I, I started training in Crazy 88, they were like heavy in the gi as far as like guard playing and everything. Everybody kind of had their own style. And I think, you know, watching guys like Marcio Andre and, and other people, I think just playing around, that was the fun thing about jujitsu. It's just like you experiment with different things. And I think that fighter guard really worked because I could be active and I could do a lot of things with it. And I think that's also part of the trend of jujitsu where jiu-jitsu was moving at that time. Everybody was doing spider guard, right? I just fell into it maybe at the right time. I did nogi for like the first few years because again, I was trying to improve my wrestling and then I, I wanted to get into something else. And I think I slowly started developing into a jujitsu guy as opposed to a wrestler over those nogi years. And then when I got into jujitsu as a white belt, I went in thinking that I was a lot tougher than I was. And that was a bad mindset. I definitely got humbled and, and it was a good experience. Uh, I think when I got out of the military in 2009, like I started as a white belt, I never really wore a gi before that. You know, I've been doing jujitsu probably three years, maybe wore a gi like two or three times since people would like force it on me. Then I went to an academy here in, in, in Maryland, Crazy 88, it's actually still around. I have nothing bad to say about them, it's a good school very competitive school, militant, but very competitive because they were part of, they're still part of Lloyd Irvin. And it was a good experience. They had really good guys there. And so 
when I went there as a white belt, I think my mindset was just trying to like learn as much as possible. You know, I think as a white belt, I just wanted to be a blue belt like everybody else. So I wanted to prove that I was good enough to be a blue belt. Uh, I think by the time I got to blue belt, I think I realized along the way it wasn't about getting promoted. To, you know, even though in the back of your mind, people were like, it's not about belts and it's not about that. And, but it is to a degree because it shows the hard work and dedication you put into it. But I will say that as a white belt, I was really focused on like proving that I was good enough. Right. And then I think when I got to blue belt, I really started more so falling in love with the idea of learning and trying to develop my own style. Um, by the time I got to purple belt, I had already been doing jujitsu. You know, 2014 is when I got my purple belt. So, you know, I'd already been doing jujitsu for what, what was that, like eight years at that point and, and then probably seven years in, in the gi. You know, at this point, again, my mindset hadn't really changed a whole lot. It's still kind of the same way it is now, except that I don't need to be anybody else. I need to beat myself. And meaning that I want to improve in my own mind, my mental and physical than what I was a year ago. That's not easy, right? Because as you age, especially like at my point now, not that I'm old, but you know, as you get older, you're dealing with injuries. Everybody still wants to jump on your back and choke you out, right? And I like that. I need that in my life. As I progressed in the belts, it became like in blue belt, purple belt, I was like really learning my own style, really learning as much as I could about jujitsu. The end of purple belt, now into brown belt, it's more about like getting as many matches before I make black belt because, you know, it's a different world once you get the black belt. I think the expectations and the bar is set as it should be rightfully so should be set pretty high as like a mentor, but also it's a very honest sport, right? And, you know, if you're not training, you know, it's very easy to call somebody out that, that, you know, maybe has got a black belt that probably doesn't deserve it. When I say that, meaning somebody just picked up a black belt and didn't really train and put in the dedication, right? It doesn't mean you have to be beating everybody. It means that you know what you're doing and you put in the hard work and people can tell. Purple to brown is now more like trying to sharpen up all my tools and, and really put my knowledge together and see where the holes are and trying to fill those holes. Like, so right now it's wrestling for me or was before this whole thing happened. So trying to up my work ethic is, is kind of where that's kind of spanned to now that I've learned a lot of the technique. Are there any jujitsu black belts whose game you watch or that you want to emulate? There was a guy in my younger days of the blue belt and purple belt, really that I saw competing that I really liked his style and I emulated a lot of my style off of, especially a lot of my overhead sweeps where I lift people in the air with my legs and toss them over. A guy named Marcio Andre, M-A-R-C-I-O, last name A-N-D-R-E. He's now like one of the top elite black belts. At that time, he was a blue belt just like me. You know, he was a young kid, 16, 17, when I first came in contact with him. And, and now he's like a, a world-class badass in, in jiu-jitsu and in his mid-20s. And so him, and then I think I also was like Cabrinha, like uh, Rubens Charles was another one that I really liked. Um, these were guys that just, they were just very consistent and they had a very good guard game. And, and I was coming from a wrestling background and I wanted to learn the guard. And I wanted to learn spider guard, get really good at it, have an active guard. So I used those guys. I think now probably last couple years, I've been really trying to switch gears and I've been following like JT Torres a lot. because so I knew JT Torres, I was his teammate. We were all training at Lloyd Irvin's. So JT is probably one of my favorite guys to watch right now. He's just so dominant and, and it shows and it, he just has a lot of work ethic, really good work ethic that he's a great role model of work ethic for anybody. So him, honestly, I don't watch as much jujitsu as I used to. I've been watching more, obviously, these last few days, but they're more like podcasts. I guess JT is the one that I'm trying to emulate as far as work ethic and style now.
you have done jujitsu in a lot of different countries. So you've done it in Mexico City, Germany, Honduras, and then I don't know if you did jujitsu while you were in Iceland. Mm-hmm. What are kind of the similarities and differences that you've noticed? Uh, well, in Iceland, it's just how you'd picture it. It's a bunch of tall dudes with beards. And even the women are like taller and bigger. Not all of them, but most of them. In Iceland, it really was like, there were some small guys there, but like, yeah, there's a lot of tall guys. It's funny because they're just as fluent in English as we are, but they speak a completely other language. It's is their base language. And it's like, man, I feel dumb and I need to learn another language really bad. They're very friendly. They're, they're very, I won't say friendly. They're very receptive. I don't know if I describe them as friendly, but they're open, right? They aren't unfriendly. Maybe they're kind of just neutral. They're kind of just to themselves, but they're open. Like they'll help you if you need help. I only trained two days while I was there because the rest of the time I was driving around the country in a van. I got to roll with one guy that was just kicked my ass. One of the, the black belt instructor there. And he was my size. And I, I really appreciate that because it was like, he was my size and he was beating me up pretty bad. People there were good. And it's like, man, jujitsu is really spread around. And it's not like, you just go to a, like a random country and, and you go to a jujitsu school anymore. It used to be 10 years ago that like maybe there'd be like one purple belt teaching class and, and nobody really knew what they're doing. It's not the case anymore, right? A lot of people are training. A lot of people know what they're doing. That gym I went to in Iceland, I forget that dude's name that, that um, he's Icelandic, but he, he fights with like Conor McGregor, but he's, um, or fights out of his camp in Ireland. He trains there. I didn't see him while I was there, but people are in the know. People train jujitsu these days. So the other places like Mexico City, when I was down there, I had fun. They were very, they were very friendly. I would listen to a lot of the classes in, in Spanish and then and then they would stay, talk in English. And some of these places I go, I might be uh, having a teaching aspect because maybe there's like some, they're kind of learning themselves. And I think Mexico City was one of those. I went to Acapulco and trained there. Where else have I trained? So Honduras was probably really fun. It was really rewarding because there's not really a program in, in jiu-jitsu in Honduras. It's very fledgling right now. It's, it's trying to get off its feet. And the guy that uh, I met just by chance, I, I take a gi with me everywhere I go now because literally jiu-jitsu is everywhere, except maybe in Antarctica. I went there and I guess they didn't, like their black belt left them. You know, there's some maybe drama, which, you know, you can't escape apparently no matter what aspect of life you're in, but they didn't have anybody to teach there. And then I actually went to train and then I ended up kind of teaching a class just randomly while I was there when I went down last summer and they're like, Hey, can you come back? You know, sometime the, the plan wasn't to go back, but of course I was like, yeah, sure. You know, if you guys wanted to give me a ticket, I'd come back and teach not a problem for free, of course, and, and do it obviously not with the intention that who's going to buy me a ticket to go back there. Well, they did. They bought me a ticket and I was like, Oh shit. So that's like during that time period where I, you know, like I was, you know, I think between the summer, like I came back from Honduras, got my brown belt. And then I was like starting to rate, like these guys really wanted me to come back and help them. And it felt like really rewarding because I was like, here I am, like just this random white boy. There's tons of people that are better than me at jujitsu, but you know, they didn't really have anybody to help them. And I was like, automatically, I, like, I love the country. I had fun while I was there. It's like, sure, if they're going to give me a ticket, like let me repay them by not only teaching, but try to like get people to bring these together for the social programs that are down there. They have a lot of social programs. Yeah, I went back down there. I, I shipped a bunch of geese down to them. We went there. We traveled Honduras together. My friend Leo, that's that's trying to build it up down there. And, and there's, so there's like three spots now that do jujitsu that have a cat. Academies and the one in like Tegucigalpa where I was at uh, was where I was like really staying and there's one in San Pedro Sula that had a brown belt just guy like me just got his brown belt and then there was another academy that was looking for a black belt and I think they flew one in from Brazil so like maybe there was like one or two black belts in the entire country if even that you know it was a really good experience one of like my favorite actually in my life just traveling around who, who knew jiu-jitsu would take you places it literally took me to Honduras. There were kids that were like, they were trying to pull out of gangs, right? Like literally MS-13 and, and they were trained to be assassins. And, and it was just a bad scenario for a lot of these kids. So they would get them out of these neighborhoods and try to create a home and base it around jujitsu and, and fighting and MMA. 
And so like, I remember I was training this kid down here. All I was doing, like I wasn't doing anything crazy, but like, you, you know, he, he, this, this kid, maybe 19, 20 years old, he was training for a cage fight while I was down there. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I, you know, let me help you out and put on my Nogi stuff. And all I trained with him was like, he would shoot in on me and I would show him how to sprawl properly, spin around to the back. And I was like, this is a very applicable thing. You need to know how to sprawl. You also need to know how to shoot. He knew how to shoot, right? So I was like, all right, when, when somebody shoots on you, you need to know how to sprawl, spin around to the back, take the back. And we just drilled that for maybe an hour. And I remember that Friday night I went to his fight and it was actually cold in Honduras. It was crazy. It was like 50 degrees and I had a t-shirt because I didn't bring any warm clothes to Honduras. I was cold, but they had these fights. Women were fighting too. And it was crazy because they didn't have any doctors. It's just like a anarchy down there. But they had this cage and they had, you know, people drinking beer and then they had people coming out. Uh, this cage was outside. Like this kid that I was training, it was like he won his fight in like a minute, right? And did exactly what I showed him. And I was just like, it was just random. Like he, he, he was like, and after the fight, like, I mean, like, I'm, who am I? Like he just met me a couple of days ago, but he like, he, he's like, man, I, I really want to thank this guy, this guy, and I really want to thank, called me out. He's like, I really want to thank this guy, helped me out a lot. And I was like, man, like these guys are so appreciative and they have such heart. All they need is somebody to kind of help them befriend them and, and mentor them. And I was like, man, this is really cool. I didn't really do anything. I spent like an hour with him and he's talking about me and, and thanking me like I did him some major favor. So it was a really cool experience down there, teaching class in different areas. And it was like a dream. And, you know, maybe one day that's that's what I can do is I travel and teach. So it was a really good experience. And then Brazil, like when I was a blue belt, I trained in Brazil and that was a really cool experience too. Like I can go on forever, this podcast, whatever, it would go on forever. But moral of the story is take your gi wherever you go now because jujitsu is everywhere. And there's always new friends to make and it's a good experience. Here are my takeaways from the interview. Number one. Do what feels natural in terms of choosing your own game. It could be the most popular thing at the time that also happens to be your jam. But if it isn't, don't force it. Play around and work on different things, and over time, they will click. Number two, the belt rank is a reflection of your hard work and dedication. But your hard work and dedication can be directed towards different things. Is it really the rank that you're looking for, or is it the associated knowledge and love of learning that you truly want? Fall in love with the idea of learning because that's the path towards expansion. Number three, jujitsu is fun because there's experimentation combined with challenge. That to me is what life is all about too. Testing out new theories, seeing what works, and what could be tweaked again and again and again. There's a lot of understanding that can happen as you put yourself into different scenarios. And that understanding is hopefully meaningful because it allows you to connect with others and yourself. This is from Tio's book, People of the Sun. Interlude one. The world is grayed out. There's often no sound. Smell here is strange and taste is somehow unique, but feeling, feeling does not change. It only grows stronger. And somewhere waiting, it lies, only seeing what it wants to see. The immaterial passes through. In an eternity of nothing, even the most trivial things are worth noting. Yet, this is not trivial. It's exciting. Purpose, then, has become important once more.
Oh, hey, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Here's a little Easter egg for you. Yay! Jonah wants to know, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 10 duck-sized horses? One horse-sized duck. Could, because... Because why, why would I want to fight like 10 little ducks? I don't know what those things are doing to jump on my back. No, on. they're 10 duck-sized horses. 10 duck-sized horses? Yeah, or one horse-sized duck. One horse-sized duck. What part of the... Is the face the duck? Like, there, I need more information. No, okay, so... It's so, no, hold on. They're, they're literally <laughs> horses and they're duck sized and there's 10 of them. Or one duck that is uh, horse sized. <laughs> well, let's see. One horse sized duck, I feel like would not be much of a challenge. The, the horses, I'm gonna go with the, I'm gonna go with the horse sized duck. I would be interested to cook it up afterwards and see what it tasted like. Oh my God. I hear it's good. Um, the, the horses, yeah, I'm not gonna do anything with those. You know, they're small, they're running around. I don't wanna fight horses. Like to me, I like horses, so I'd rather fight the duck. Got it, cool. A good question, Jonah, <laughs> very relevant. Next 